following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Good morning, everybody. Oh, that was so nice and lively. Thank you for that. My name is Steve Ott, and I'm coming to you from the Davenport campus of Sacred City Church. And I'm so excited to see the top half of your faces this morning. It's, uh, it's, been, a long, it's been a while here. So, uh, let's jump right into it, though, and, and, and start with a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for today and, and just the chance to gather together um, in the midst of just a conflicted world. Lord, there's so much going on, and it would be really easy to, to kind of hunker down and to hide ourselves away in, in the midst of our stress and our anxiety and our fear. Um, but Lord, you called us to gather together, to sing your praises together as one body. And Lord, that's what we did today, and that's what we're doing right now. So Lord, as we sit here in the midst of all these things, I, I'd ask you, uh, just calm our hearts, focus our minds, draw us into this moment right here. Lord, let us hear from you. Prepare our hearts to hear your word, to, Lord, to see how it pierces our very souls at times, Lord. And I pray that we would just be um, people ready to, uh, to step forward into that broken world, um, charged up by what you're doing here today. So Lord, may you uh, speak through me. May my words be your words. And Lord, may you be glorified in all that we do here today. Amen. All right. So today, we're looking at blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. But let's remember first the direction of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus is really talking to his disciples, right? These are people that have already responded in some form or fashion to the basic message of of Jesus, right? That the kingdom of God is here and available to you. Right, so Jesus is sharing with them what life in the kingdom must be like. Right? In other words, if you follow me, this is what your life should look like. In the past several weeks, um, I don't know about you, but it's been just really enriching to hear um, the insight of each of these Beatitudes. Right? Um, but they're starting to take a notable shift in tone. Okay? Jesus is moving from describing the inner life to describing the outer life. Right? The, the practical output of life as a follower of Jesus, right? If you look at the Beatitudes holistically as a whole, right, you start to sense a progressive pattern. All right, the first four Beatitudes describe our, really our sanctification. As we come to faith, right, we see, start to see how our hearts and our minds take the shape of the kingdom. Right, they start to look more like Jesus. So we, we say things like, blessed be your flourishing, good for you, flourishing is the person who is poor in spirit, right, recognizing our own helplessness. Right, those who mourn over sin and brokenness. Right, flourishing is the one who operates with meekness, right, strength and wisdom under control, who, who desires above all things righteousness. But then we start to see a turn. Right, as your inner life is molded by Jesus, so too should your outer life reflect Jesus. So he says things like flourishing, blessed is the one who acts with mercy, right, who lives with a pure heart. Right, we start to see that external output. And it finally brings us to today where Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
I think Jesus is calling us to the most overtly active role in this progressive experience of faith described here in the Beatitudes. But what exactly is being asked of us here? All right, let's break down this passage one part at a time. Okay? So blessed are the peacemakers. Before we know how to make peace, we have to really understand what Jesus means by peace. Right, when we first encounter the word peace, a few images probably pop up and spring to mind right away. Right, first one, um, for you older folks in here, like that hippie culture, right, 60s and 70s. Right, you have the tie-dye t-shirts, you got the peace signs, right, the big peace symbol, maybe you got like the peace necklace, or, like, and everyone's like, yeah, man, you gotta make love, not war, man, this is good, peace, right? In this image, peace is emphasized as an outward absence of war or outer conflict, right? Peace is only if there's no conflict at all outside of us. Well, you have another image maybe that maybe takes the opposite approach. You have like the Zen garden, right? The people doing yoga, like the, you can, the, the wafting of essential oils. Yes, we're here. There's some soft piano music going on in the background, right? There's just, I got my tea, and this is me time right now, right? This is just, I'm here. This, this is nice. It's just all about me, right? This is peace, right? This is, peace here is described more inwardly, right? There's an inner tranquility that happens here, right? There's an absence of inner conflict. Like everything else is going poorly around me, but inside I feel great. Like this is nice, okay? This is what I would call worldly peace, right? Peace that the world subscribes to. No matter if peace is pointed inwardly or outwardly, worldly peace is focused on a complete absence of conflict, which sounds, that sounds right, that sounds nice and good, right? But here, peace is really viewed in a linear fashion, right? There's a line between me and the other person, okay? Conflict is between you and me, right? There's a straight line between us. Finding peace in a linear setup is to essentially duel the other person, the other thing that's causing you to, uh, to experience conflict, right? There's no way to find peace except the other person either submitting to the pain of the conflict and giving up, saying, fine, I'll give up and I'll make, make peace here, or you saying the same, well, I'm gonna lay down my pride and desires and I'll give up and we'll make peace, right? And I don't know if you've tried this before, but it doesn't often go very well. Right, it's hard to find someone willing to do this for someone they perceive to be an enemy. And this is why so many of us are still embroiled in years-long conflict with people who we once loved and cared for. See, linear peace, worldly peace, is too costly to come by for many people. So the solution then, if we're striving for this worldly peace, this linear peace between me and you, we either strive to avoid conflict altogether, like I'm just gonna hide myself, we won't have any conflict at all. I'll, maybe I'll pretend that the conflict isn't real, like we're fine, everything's fine, <laughs> this, is, this is normal, this is good. There's no conflict here, right? We'll just pretend it doesn't happen. Or we'll fire up the piano music and the essential oils and the diffusers and we'll just go hide ourselves in our rooms, like this is nice, everything's crazy out here, but inside we're okay. I can find the inner tranquility for myself. This is not the peace Jesus calls us to make in this verse. See, biblical peace takes on a much different form. Right, the Hebrew word for peace in the Bible is shalom. 
Okay, much like the word blessed here in, in, in the Beatitudes means something more than just a state of being, right? It's actually a, uh, it means you're actively flourishing. There's something active and, 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 and happening to you as you are blessed here, right? Shalom means that it's more than just an absence of conflict. Right? Shalom conveys the presence of something better after you resolve the conflict. That it's not just an absence, but something's been replaced, something better has sprung forth from this conflict, right? Not only has the conflict been resolved, but the relationship has been made whole and new in a new, powerful way. Right here, biblical peace is viewed as circular, okay? If, if worldly peace is linear between you and me, biblical peace is viewed as circular, okay? When you're embroiled in conflict, it doesn't just impact you and the other person, but it impacts the whole community around you. Think about it, when you are in conflict, right, it changes you, right, it makes you feel uh, awful, it makes you feel stressed, it makes you feel bitter towards somebody. But you aren't at just one end of the line, right? you're in the middle of a circle. That, that conflict you experience and you're feeling, it impacts your family. It impacts your MC. It impacts your children. It impacts your spouse. It impacts your workplace, right? All these things start to be impacted. Non-believers, right? The list goes on and on. As you are stuck in conflict, it's impacting everyone around you, right? Peace in this way has to be able to reach everybody. See, when people talk about shalom, what they often use is imagery of a stone wall. Imagine like a mighty stone wall, right, protecting the kingdom, right? The, the mighty stone wall. If you take one brick away from that wall, what happens? Right? It starts, the integrity of the wall starts to, to, to weaken, right? The structure isn't as strong as it was, right? It still looks like a wall, but with one brick missing, suddenly the whole thing can collapse. Right? If it's just cracked, if something is, is, is amiss with this, even just one brick, right? if this wall is conflicted, the whole thing is in danger. Right? Shalom, then, is repairing the crack, is replacing the brick, is filling in the gaps. Right? Not just so that crack feels better, but the whole wall is strengthened once again. See, biblical shalom or peace is seeing the whole community around you restored and made whole. Right? It's not just having uh, more dinners together. Finally, well, we, we were fighting, but now we're, we're going to go out to eat together, and it's just nice. And, and we're going to maybe see a movie, and it's just, this just feels right again, right? It's not just that. It's seeing authentic community spring forth from conflict, right? It's not just paving the way and like, and now we're good, everyone's just, everyone go back to normal, right? But saying, we fixed it, and now something new is rising up, right? There's new growth from this once dying root, right? Biblical peace, that shalom sees the whole thing restored, Right? It's not retreating into your Zen garden for some me time, right? But it's instead filled with intentional action. Which is why we aren't called to be peacekeepers, 
but peacemakers. A peacekeeper is essentially all of us. We, we hate conflict. If you, like, if you like, like conflict and you really enjoy it, then why are you here? Like, get out of here. No. <laughs> all right. Most of us are, dare I say, all of us hate conflict. We want to avoid it. We don't want to be involved with conflict. It doesn't feel good, right? We'd much rather avoid conflict in the name of keeping peace. But simply keeping peace absolves you of being involved in the peacemaking process. It allows you to sit on the sidelines wishing that peace would maybe just magically arrive or even shaming those who are stuck in conflict, right? It's separating yourself from those who are in, in, in conflict saying, well, that's, that's not a good idea. You should, you should like peace. Right? See, peacekeeping is it's passive. Right? If, if, if I don't cause issues, if I don't step into conflict myself, I'll be considered a peaceful person, right? I'll just, I'll just step back. I'll be passive. Right? Peacekeeping is appeasing. I'll just, I'll just keep the peace by giving in to whatever makes everyone happy. Right? Maybe you've said that even today yet, right? Whatever you need to be happy, just whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm appeasing you, whatever. I'm keeping the peace. Peacekeepers also avoid conflict at all costs. Right? There's no peace to be found in conflict, so I'm just going to run away. <laughs> if I'm not around conflict, then, I, then I'm okay. Right? I'm, just, I'm avoiding it completely. See, a peacemaker, a peacemaker on, the other, on the other hand, doesn't look the other way in the face of conflict but rushes into conflict, ready to make peace where it once felt impossible. All right, peacemakers feel the burden of conflict, even if it's not their own, and step in to see reconciliation and complete restoration, that complete shalom. When you commit to making peace, you're really committing to three things, right? The first one is this, peacemakers are honest about peace and conflict. Right, one of the most damaging things peacekeepers do is pretend that conflict doesn't exist. All right, maybe that's you today, where you're looking at your world and your life and your circles, and you're saying, uh, this feels a little awkward, but I'm just going to pretend it's not there, or I'm going to lie to myself and say, yeah, we're, we're fine. This is fine, right? If you love peace, if you want to keep peace, you are willing to lie about the presence of conflict so that you can maintain the image of peace. Right, this doesn't bring peace just to lie about it and say it's actually there. If it's not true, if there is no peace, there won't be peace, right? It only prolongs the conflict. Right? When we lie about the presence of conflict, this is what tears down communities. This is what tears down families when we're not honest with what's going on. This is what tears down relationships. This is what tears down churches when we don't face up to what's actually happening with our relationships. Peacemakers are honest about conflict and address it head on. If you're not honest about conflict, you can't resolve it. Which leads us to the next commitment we make as peacemakers. One, the second one is peacemakers risk pain to pursue peace. Right? Peacemakers don't keep the peace, they make the peace. And at times when we do that, right, it, it can be uncomfortable. It can hurt. Right? At times we need to push deeper into conflict. 
Not only be honest about conflict, but push even further into it so that we can see the real pain point. Because you know that at times it may look like this is the real conflict up here, but in reality, this is the deeper conflict that we have to solve. If we solve this thing, then it solves this thing up here, right? All right, so peacemakers say, I'm going to plunge into the depths. And it may hurt like heck. It may make you super uncomfortable. It may strain relationships for a moment. It may cost you something. But you know that the risk is worth the reward in the long run. And it connects us to the last commitment we make as peacemakers. Peacemakers always fight for peace. This is the paradox of peacemaking, right? We must fight for peace, right? And the hippies are dying right now. Like, no, you can't fight for peace. What are you talking about? Right? Peacemaking is inherently active. We can't be passive and sit back. We can't just cross our fingers and say, I really hope that peace happens. Please, peace, just show up somehow. Right? We can't do that. Instead, we must be active fighters, never tiring of advocating for biblical shalom to see uh, the whole community brought back into peace and restoration. Right? We plunge headfirst into relationships, always battling to bring wholeness and complete restoration. But why? Why? Why does Jesus call us to be peacemakers? I don't know if you've noticed this. Um, our world is on fire. Oh. We are embroiled in conflict on literally all sides. We are feeling tension from every corner of our lives. We're experiencing political tension from the election and the vile social media culture we live in right now. We're experiencing cultural tension, right, from shifting preferences, values, and morals. We're seeing racial tension, right, from racism and injustice and rioting exploding in front of us. Theological tension. You have churches debating all these things above, right? Members and friends fighting with one another about masks and and what's safest and how should we best do church now, right? You have people leaving churches in hurt and anger. There's work and financial tension, right? People trying to figure out COVID for their lives. People losing jobs, strained finances. Physical tension. Man, there's a real physical exhaustion and stress from everything going on. There's emotional tension where we feel anxiety from wondering, when will this all feel normal again? Relational tension. Our marriages are pulling at the seams or some just falling apart completely. They have MC members arguing with each other, fighting with each other. They have parents wondering when my kids will ever go back to school. Come on. Go back to school, please. All right, we are beset on all sides by conflict. Conflict has marred our lives to the point where peace feels like a distant fantasy, like an oasis in a desert that simply won't come. Our world desperately needs peace. We desperately need peace. And it's at this point of desperation, when the world starts looking for any cultural or social or political uh, solution to this conflict, to this need for peace, 
that Jesus calls his disciples to be peacemakers. We need peace, yes, absolutely. But what our world desperately needs is peacemakers. But to fully understand the call to peacemaking, though, we need to fully understand conflict. Why does conflict exist? So if you have Bibles, let's turn to James chapter 3, starting with verse 13, and let's explore kind of what James looks at here. So let's look at James chapter 3, verse 13. All right, here we go. This is James describing the kind of conduct a faithful believer displays, right? So he says this in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Well, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness, the word again, meekness, right, of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Right, James is saying, if you truly know Jesus, if you're truly wise and understand the gospel, what does that look like, right? Well, there's, you're going to see some good conduct. You're going to see a good output in your life, right? You're going to see things that look like meekness, right? Purity. You'd be peaceable. Yeah, this kind of has a Beatitudes feeling to it, right? You'd be gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, sincere, impartial, right? If, if you follow Jesus, if you, if you really look like him, that's what you'll look like. But if you're someone that has bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, it says there's going to be disorder, chaos. There's going to be conflict, Right? When you are in it for yourself, when pride rears its ugly head, when jealousy and selfishness rule the day, conflict abounds. Skip ahead with me for a moment to James chapter 4, verse 1, when he starts to really pour it on for us. Hey, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Right? What causes conflict? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. All right, so why do you fight? Why do you have conflict? It's your warring passions for things of this world, right? It's, they're competing for for the good stuff within you. Why would you murder? And Jesus says that if you like, even look upon anger of your brother or sister, like, that's like murder, right? So here it is saying, why would you murder? Because you're desiring, you don't have, right? You're jealous. I want that too, so I'm gonna just take it from you. Right? Why don't you receive? Because you ask wrongly out of pride and jealousy. So why does conflict exist? We wanna play God, 
We want to be God. All right, we lack the trust and patience and faith in God, so we, we take matters into our own hands. God, I got this. I'm going to take on the role of God of my own life, and armed with this newfound, misguided power, we are now owed something. And you know who owes us? Everyone around us. Everyone around us owes us now. Our spouse, our kids, our boss, our pastor, our MC, our coworkers, right? Everybody owes us something because we want everything. We want all of it for ourselves. And in that environment, conflict ensues. Friends quickly become like enemies to us, right? Something really important happens when we take on this conflict-riddled mindset. Something that I think really shapes and digs, we talk about conflict at the surface, right? There's conflict even deeper, right? This is what happens here. When we take on this mindset, we become an enemy of God. Let's read on to James chapter four, verse four here. Listen to what James says here. You adulterous people, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? All right, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. If you are so dead set on giving yourself over to your bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, you've made yourself an enemy of God. So what truly creates conflict in our world? We don't have peace with God. We lack peace with God. If you are embroiled in conflict, you lack shalom with God first and foremost. Our sin separates us from God. It's like blowing holes in that strong stone wall. Our sin pushes us away from God. And if you have any hopes of being a peacemaker, you first must experience peace with God himself. Kent Hughes, he's a pastor, wrote this book series called Preaching the Word. He has this to say about first finding peace with God. He says, the futility of Christians attempting to make peace when their inner lives are walking civil wars is evidenced by the logic that we can impart only that which we possess. If we are believers, but have receded, pulled back from the fullness of Christ's shalom or peace, we must come to him honestly and ask for a fresh implanting of his peace. Right? If you want to be a peacemaker, yet you have no peace within you, with God, right? you're a walking civil war, constantly warring within yourself. But you must face up to that honestly and be willing to go back to Jesus asking for that. Right? Christians must experience a renewed, full sense of God's peace in their own lives first in order to overcome conflict with peacemaking. But how do we do that? Right? Maybe you're sitting here today going, Dad, that's me. I'm conflicted. There's a civil war warring within me right now. How do I experience peace? Well, here's how this works. All right, it starts with embracing this very simple truth. 
Peacemaking is simply the external outworking of an internal gospel reality. Right? It's an, just simply you pouring out what you've received from Jesus. Right? As you embrace the gospel, it then pours itself out. It overflows onto our burning world, right? All right, here's how this works. First, because of our sin, we are in conflict with God. All right, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, it says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, right? Our sin doesn't just make God smile and shake his head like a, like a Friday night sitcom, like, oh, those guys and their sin again, <laughs> right? That's not what happens. Our sin creates real conflict between us and God, right? God in his holiness looks upon sin with such disdain that he cannot even be near it. It says sin alienates us from God, right? It separates us from God, right? And if that was the end of the story, that would be a really hard place to be in. But praise God, that's not the end of the story. Because second thing, we are given a mediator, a peacemaker of our own, to step in on our behalf. All right, let's go to our, our, our favorite Advent uh, verse, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Our mediator, our prince of peace comes down and the same prince of peace, Jesus, empties himself on, for our sake. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, poured himself out by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus rushes into our conflict with God and takes it upon his shoulders completely. Right? He steps in to where you feel conflicted, where you feel distant and separated from God. He says, I got this one. Right, our Prince of Peace rushes in. We keep reading in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. But now he has reconciled, Jesus has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Right? Jesus makes shalom happen with his own body. He gives it fully to us when he didn't have to. Jesus fights for our peace by offering himself unto death. Right? He isn't passive. Right? He's not a peacekeeper saying, well, I just hope sin will go away. I'll, just, I'll, I'll step back here. He isn't appeasing. He's not saying, well, you know, whatever makes everyone happy, I'll do whatever everyone wants to do. I'll just do that. Right? Jesus isn't avoiding, avoiding conflict out of fear. He's not saying, well, this is scary. I'm going to stay away from this. 
But instead, Jesus brings shalom between us and God by offering his very body to the cause. So with that, thirdly, we are invited to embrace this reality for ourselves. Right, James, after shining a very bright light on our conflict, offers this as a solution to our warring passions within us. So let's look at James chapter 4 again and looking at verses 7 through 10. So what do you do if you have warring passions, right? What do you do if you have selfish ambition and jealousy? Listen to what James says. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do you want to find peace with God? Submit yourself to him. Resist the devil, right? Run away from those sins. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you, right? Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. Don't be proud of your sin, but be wretched, mourn, and weep, right? Don't just laugh it off like, oh, we'll figure it out, right? This conflict with God, yeah. Don't laugh about it, but instead be turned to mourning and your joy in that be turned to gloom, right? Get into that posture of repentance, And finally, maybe most importantly, humble yourself before the Lord. He will exalt you. If you can set aside your warring passion, if you can repent of the things that separate you from God, he will lift you up. And he does that through the blood of Jesus shed for you. And as you embrace this gospel reality for yourself, this inner gospel reality, what happens is the Holy Spirit begins to shape your very nature, your character. He starts to change you for how you think and how you respond to the world around you. Listen to Pastor Hughes again on this change. The Holy Spirit molds the character of peacemakers' lives so that their very nature becomes increasingly gentle, humble, and loving. He elevates their integrity so they can honestly evaluate the development of peace in their personal lives and society. He steals them not to say there is peace when there is no peace. Right? The Spirit leads them to risk pain and misunderstanding in the pursuit of peace. He also leads them in developing the divinely aggressive spirit that wages peace. Right? If we do not understand the peace that was won for us by Jesus on the cross, we will never develop the character necessary to make peace in our world. See, peacemaking is really about getting into that sweet spot of understanding that we're owed nothing but are given everything, right? And then from that standpoint, we step into conflict to remind others of the same, to point it out that there's something greater for you. And this is where the last part of our verse comes into play. You thought I forgot, but I didn't, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Whenever someone uses the term sons of or daughters of, it means that they share the character and the nature or the nature of the person being described. 
So do you know what this means for a broken world starving for peace? That when you step in as a peacemaker, empowered by the reality of the gospel, people see the very kingdom of God in you. That you carry the flame of Jesus forward into the darkest corners of the world. You let people see the very nature and character of God. So much so that as they experience peacemaking from you, they experience Jesus. And this is exactly how it was intended. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. All right, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, right, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled, right, made peace, reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God made peace with us through Jesus. Then he gave us that message. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation to go into the world and bring true shalom to a hurting, broken world. That as we bring shalom to our broken world, the world learns that true peace, not the Zen garden, not the tie-dye shirts, but true peace that changes you and everyone around you, true peace comes from believing in and embracing the gospel for yourself. And you see how the cycle continues as one who was far from God embraces the gospel for themselves and becomes this inner reality where they acknowledge that, yeah, I once was conflicted and apart from God, but now I've been brought near because of Jesus. I am now going to go pour that out in my neighbor, on my coworker, and I'm going to make peace there, and then that person's going to take that same thing and start to make peace in our world. As ambassadors, we represent Jesus, pointing people to the path of true peace. And James gives voice to this, right? I skipped over this intentionally. James chapter 3, verse 18. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. When you sow in peace, when you live as a peacemaker, the harvest you reap is people coming to know Jesus as their Savior. Do you want to be on mission? Do you feel like, man, I'm lacking that mission focus in my life? Be a peacemaker in our conflicted world. Douse the flames of bitter conflict with grace and truth, and as you do this, the world will see and experience Jesus. Not only our world, but in our families and our children, our coworkers. Now, maybe there's some of you today sitting here in the midst of conflict yourself. It probably doesn't take much to to have you look within yourself and see those points of unresolved conflict. Those those surface-level things, right? All the way down to the deep gut stuff. Maybe it's 
It's been days or weeks, months, maybe even years of conflict. Maybe it's hard for you to talk to your husband or you're angry with your wife. At the end of your rope with your kids, you've been hurt by your parents. Maybe you're jealous and bitter, angry towards your coworker, and you're unwilling to let it go. God's peace is for you today. God's peace is for you today. If you are in a place where you feel conflicted, I'm guessing you most feel distance from God there. I'm saying to you is God's peace is for you today. Will you receive that renewed, refresh and planting of God's peace today in your life? Will you come to Jesus honestly with open hands and ask to experience his peace once again? And as you experience the peace won for you on the cross, will you too be willing to fight for peace once again? That peace is for you today. Now we have a tangible reminder of that every single Sunday. Every single Sunday of the peace won for us when we come to the table. Our Jesus, our Prince of Peace, gave himself fully to make shalom, peace with God for those who will embrace and receive it today. So may you receive this peace today. May you take these elements and, and remind yourself that Jesus won this peace for me, that I can experience peace from God and then pour that out into our broken, hurting world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and for what you've done for us on the cross. Lord, you brought us near. You allowed us to come near to you again through the blood of Jesus. So Lord, I, I ask that those who are here today that are conflicted, who are unwilling to let it go, who are unwilling to surrender it to you, to die to themselves as you have died for us, Lord, I pray that you would make your peace known to us. Or that those who are hurting today, that you would offer your peace in a way that's tangible and felt, Lord. But Lord, may we have open hands and open hearts and minds to receive that today. May we remember what you've done for us as our peacemaker, our Prince of Peace, and may we then pour that out onto our world, Lord. So as we come to the table, Lord, as we uh, take these elements, may you um, remind us of what you've done. And may that send us into our weeks with a charge uh, to fight for peace always. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.